Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the upcoming FIFA World Cup qualifiers for Africa, with two rounds of games coming in the space of seven days. We focus on Ghana's Black Stars, with Serbian Milovan Rajevac back as coach, having taken Ghana to the quarterfinals of the 2010 World Cup. Do anything in my power to, that I would use my experience and knowledge to take Ghana to the World Cup. That's coming shortly. Also, we look at the highest-paid national team coaches in Africa, and lots on the English Premier League with Liverpool playing Manchester City in this weekend's big game. Well, first, the draw was made on Wednesday for the inaugural edition of the CAF Women's Champions League to be played in Cairo in Egypt, and the dates have now been announced as November the 5th to the 19th. The draw was conducted by Nigeria women's legend Perpetua Nkwacha and by Alia Zenuki, the captain of Egypt's women's national team and the captain of Egypt's representatives in this tournament, Wadi Degla, who will play AS Mande of Mali in the opening game. Zenuki spoke to CAF Media. I think CAF is taking the women's soccer into a totally different place uh, in this uh, period, and I'm so happy that I can join the tournament such as this one, the Champions League in the first region, and I'm really proud that it's taking place in Egypt. Uh, because this one is the first version, so we can't really predict who's winning. All of the teams are the champions of their nations, so we all have uh, fair chances in order to win this tournament. And let's see what, uh, let's see what the tournament begins. So that's Alia Zenuki, the captain of Wadi Degla. The Women's Champions League kicks off on the 5th of November. And now to men's football, qualifying for the 2022 FIFA World Cup continues next Wednesday in Africa with two rounds of games in the space of seven days. And now at this stage, it's not totally clear as to whether players based in the UK will be allowed to travel for games in countries on the UK's COVID red list. So we'll see if some teams will be disadvantaged again as they were in the first two rounds of matches. Now, the upcoming games see teams playing each other twice, home and away. Uh, some of the highlights in Group A, Algeria and Burkina Faso could qualify after four games if results go their way. In Group C, Nigeria played the Central African Republic home and away. Results could take them close to qualifying for Qatar. Group D is the tight one, Ivory Coast on four points and Cameroon on three. In Group F, the surprise leaders Libya play Egypt. In Group H, leaders Senegal face second place in Namibia. And now let's focus on Group G, where Milovan Rajovac is back as coach of the Ghana national team following the firing of CJ Akono after a defeat away to South Africa. Now, Rajovac is from Serbia. He took the Black Stars to the quarterfinals of the 2010 World Cup, where they lost to Uruguay in the famous game where Luis Suarez blocked what would have been a winning goal on the line with his hand. Now, Rajovac, who's 67, joins on a two-year deal ahead of the upcoming games against Zimbabwe. He had to reduce his salary demands from $45,000 a month to $30,000. He'll get a $300,000 bonus if he can qualify Ghana for the World Cup and the same amount if they win the Africa Cup of Nations next year. Here's Rajavat speaking at his unveiling by the Ghana Football Association in Accra. Uh, 
Želim da kažem da sam presrećan što sam počeo So that's the new Ghana national team coach, Miller van Rijavats, and I spoke to sports journalist Betty Yorsen in Accra. I first asked what the reaction there has been from the fans. Well, Milovan's coming has been met with mixed reaction from the footballers and connoisseurs of the game. He released his 32-man squad for the upcoming game against Zimbabwe on the 9th of October at the Cape Coast Sports Stadium, and that has also become topical. People, I mean, some sports journalists have already been discussing this, and they think that there are some players that do not merit the call-up, and they believe that these players had were influenced on or were I mean were pushed on the coach to make that call up. So as it starts now, Milovan's arrival, second coming, is one that some section believe he will be able to succeed with the Black Stars because of his past achievement with the Ghana senior national team. But a majority of Ghanaians believe that in 2008-2010 the country had a solid team. And so any coach could have achieved that feat with the Black Star. But as it stands now, the country do not have any solid team. We have been doing try and error with the Black Stars. As it stands now, there's you can't, I mean, close your eyes and list the first 11 of the senior national team. So we still have a long way to go to build a solid team before we can think of winning the Africa Cup of Nations and also the World Cup. So that is what many Ghanaians are saying currently. Right, so back in 2010, when uh, Ghana so nearly got to the semi-finals of the World Cup, uh, big names in the squad there, like her striker Asamoah Jan. Uh, you're saying their players uh, now are not as good as that, but we've got the likes uh, of Thomas Partey with uh, Arsenal, uh, Jordan Ayew with uh, Crystal Palace uh, in the English Premier League. So, yes, in 2010, I mean, the Black Stars could boost off great names. Even when the, I mean, the big names were not being called for the 2010 World Cup. The coach, the Milovan, could rely on the 2009 winning team. I mean, the under 20, the 2009 under-20 winning team, which had the, the DIU, the um, Ajeman Bedou. They had good players who could easily feed into um, the Black Star. They had the quality. But now, you look at our current setup and you mentioned Thomas Partey who played for Arsenal Thomas Partey has been battling with injury here and there I mean he's not been able to be consistent because of injury and talk of Jordan Ayew Jordan Ayew is one player who is not always having a good day he can be playing so well this match and next match his performance will just be abysmal so he's not been a striker that prolific striker that you can always rely on to deliver for you unlike some years ago we had a Samoyan that we know that you can always rely on him to be banking in the goals for you each game so that has been the challenge with the Black Stars currently. And, I mean, 
since 2015 that we were close to winning the AFCON, the squad has gone through a lot of transition. There have been new faces that have been introduced. I mean, the, the coach will try very hard that they will blend and then they will take them out. A new coach will take over. The new coach will introduce another um, group of players. They will try and blend. So they've been trying to form a solid team with the Black Stars. As it stands now, we don't have that solid team we used to have before. And that is what is the concern of many um, Ghanaians who love football and the, uh, I mean they feel that we've not been able to get that solid team that Milovan can rely on to be able to win the AFCON as he's been taxed to do and even qualify us to the World Cup and there have been fears that if the first round may, may be easy, I mean playing against Zimbabwe, South Africa, it may be easy but when you go to the next round where you are going to maybe meet the Algerian, the Senegal, I mean it's going to be very tough looking at the talent we have now. We are not being able to put these talent together to form a solid team for the Black Stars. Well, that's sports journalist Betty Yorson in Accra suggesting that it's not going to be easy for the new Ghana coach Milovan Rajavac. Uh, well, either it's a pretty big deal. Uh, will he deliver? And what do you think of coaches coming back to have a second spell at a club or at a national team? Uh, there are many examples. Carlo Ancelotti back at Real Madrid now. And uh, Kevin Keegan's return to Newcastle. Uh, that was among the disasters. <laughs> he sure was. No denying that one, Steve. And don't forget Zidane as well, going back to Real Madrid. Now, that was an especially notable one where he only won the league title once and the Super Cup. Now, I only say once, you know, just because it's real, the standards are high. Otherwise, many clubs would fall besides themselves, literally, for such, you know. And uh, there are many, there are many examples in Africa as well, especially with uh, national team coaches. Uh, Stuart Baxter, going back to coach South Africa, and uh, more recently, Javier Clemente, resigned his old job as head coach of Libya. And Steve, even for Ghana, well, this definitely isn't the first time. There have been five others before him, you know, including uh, Duodu, who had about four stints. And uh, one of them was uh, winning the Nations Cup back in 1978. Well, as for Ryavitz, the Serb has bounced around definitely between the Middle East, between North Africa and Thailand as well. It doesn't make for exciting stuff, to be honest, as he's barely notched anything up in his recent travels. So this does look very much like a fallback plan. And not just for the coach, but for the Ghana FA as well. It does tend to look like a bit of a quick fix. But needless to say, he got straight to work, reports saying that he's been in Ghana going on two weeks now, you know, well before his official announcement, and uh, that he and his technical bench have already started on uh, the business of call-up decisions, you know, ahead of the next round of qualifiers, as you heard Betty say, though... As usual, that is looking like a very, very controversial issue already. And the issue of his technical bench, Steve, well, that's also quite interesting. You see, he will have two assistant coaches, reportedly. Borussia Dortmund assistant manager Otto Addo 
and uh, previous Black Stars assistant coach Maxwell Cornedu. Now, granted, look, the Black Stars have honestly fallen from grace. And when you talk to some of the football enthusiasts, well, they openly admit that they're far from enthused, you know, about the state of their national football team. So it might just be that second time's the charm. I mean, who knows? Ryavats delivered in his last stint with the Black Stars. I mean, a World Cup quarterfinal appearance team that could easily have been a semifinal if uh, things didn't go as they did. And a finals appearance in the 2010 Africa. Now, what's sad about all this is that they got so far in so many huge competitions, but really had no silverware to show for their amazing efforts. So maybe, just maybe this time will be different. Who knows? Yes, we'll see how it goes for Miller van Rijavats as the new Ghana national team coach. Thanks, Ida. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. What do you think about coaches returning for a second spell? Uh, Rijavats back as coach of the Black Stars following the firing of CJ Akonor. He's from Serbia and took the Black Stars to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2010. Uh, so what do you think about coaches returning for a second spell? Is it a positive thing for a club and for a national team? Uh, is it likely to bring success? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think about coaches returning for a second spell? So Ryavats will be getting $30,000 a month as Ghana coach. And a few days ago, African football journalist Nuhu Adams posted figures on the salaries of African national team coaches, the top earners. Uh, Nuhu joined us on Planet Sport Football Africa last year to talk about the importance of statistics in African football and how hard it is to get information and stats that are basic information in European football. So Nuhu's done research on the salaries of African national team coaches. So Vahid Halihodzic, who's Morocco's coach, he's from Bosnia, is believed to be on a massive $89,000 a month. Egypt coach Carlos Quiroz, who's from Portugal, is believed to be on 85000 Algeria have a local coach in Jamel Belmadi, uh, possibly on $65,000, but it could be that Belmadi is actually top, as other information suggests that he's on $100,000 a month. Remember, he won the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations with Algeria. Uh, Cameroon's coach, Antonio Conchachao from Portugal, he's on $59,000 a month. Uh, the Spaniard, uh, Javier Clemente, who's the Libya coach, also on 59000 Hector Cooper, who's the coach of DR Congo, he's from Argentina and is getting 55000 a month, as is Gernot Rohr, uh, the German who's in charge of Nigeria. Uh, the new South Africa coach, Hugo Bruce, who's from Belgium, on 50 thousand a month. Uh, Patrice Beaumel from France, the Ivory Coast coach, we heard from him on the show last week. His salary believed to be around 35,000. And Milovana Rajavatsa, the Serbian, who's the new coach of Ghana, comes in at number 10 on a 30,000 a month. Uh, Nuhu's done a top 16 and coming in at number 14, Aliou Sise from Senegal, uh, the only other local coach there with $27,000 a month. Interesting chart this, Ida, and it shows you have to pay a lot to get a decent foreign coach and also only two local coaches in this list of the top 16 best paid. 
Well, you know how it goes, Steve. Any time these sorts of appointments happen, like Ryavats, for example, and uh, we see the figures come out, then these sorts of discussions are always, always sparked. Now, earnings of local coaches have predominantly, actually always, to be honest, been dwarfed by those of the foreign coaches on the continent. And this also relates, you know, to issues about recognition, respect, admiration, appreciation, so much. It's unfortunate for the African coaches. I mean, you look at Ryavats, for example, he's been away from Ghana for what, more than a decade? gets to come back and does so with a salary that's at least top 10 in the continent. Well, uh, Ryavet's predecessor, well, Charles Akonor, is said to have earned around 25,000 US dollars in the same job. Now, as we all know, you know, that's pretty good for an African coach. But interestingly enough, in that same job was Avram Grant, who was paid double, you know, when uh, he was in charge between 2015 and 17. And Steve, I know we are focusing on national teams, but it does have to be said that there is progress on club levels as well. I mean, you're seeing with who else but uh, Pizzo Mosimene. Now, his salary at Al-Ali is one of the highest in the continent, only said to be pipped by Arwabarena at Pyramids of Sea, Steve, which is quite interesting. Yes, uh, Pizzo Mossimani could well be earning well over $100,000 a month, uh, plus bonuses. Uh, this, according to speculation, there's uh, no official figure, but it could easily be uh, beyond $110,000. Uh, certainly he is among the uh, best paid in Africa. And as you say that, Ida, normally coaches from outside Africa are the highest paid on the continent. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. In the blog section there, Planet Sport Football Africa's Russ Bravo looks at the return of fans to the stadiums in the English Premier League and how the encouragement makes such a difference for the fans and also how encouragement helps in matters of faith. Uh, the blog is called Why the Fans Matter So Much. Uh, to read it, go to our website, planetsport.tv, and you click on the blog section at the top on the right. Right, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK now. And before we get on to the English Premier League, uh, dramatic action in the UEFA Champions League this week. Uh, Lionel Messi, his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Superb one it was too. Uh, Ronaldo, a dramatic late winner for Manchester United. And Liverpool's Mohamed Salah reaching a milestone, Stuart. Yes, indeed, Steve. What an exciting okay. week in the Champions League. Salah scored twice at Porto for Liverpool, and Sadio Mane also on the score sheet in a 5-1 win. Great achievement by Mo Salah to get to 30 goals, the third African to do so, Samuel Eto'o also on 30, and Didier Drogba 44. Manchester City were beaten 2-0 by Paris Saint-Germain, with, as you say, Lionel Messi, who had really quite a quiet game, scoring a brilliant goal, just to show that you can't keep a good man down. But arguably, the surprising scorer of the first goal for PSG and the man of the match 
was Senegalese midfield player Idrissa Gay. Remember him from his four years at Aston Villa and Everton. In fact, the Paris Saint-Germain midfield had a very familiar look to it because Gay's partner was Ander Herrera, five years at Manchester United. And now, they're both 32, but they ran around like teenagers, giving De Bruyne, Maris, Sterling and Grealish very little space to operate from. Great performance. What about Manchester United? Going a goal down even though they were being watched by Usain Bolt, uh, a goal down to Villarreal. Then Tellers equalised. The game was deep into stoppage time when Ronaldo, who else, scored the winner. And, you know, it's a kind of goal we've talked about. He didn't run 50 metres to score. He was in the right place. He anticipated what was going to happen, and he scored. And uh, I'm sorry, Mr Mosala, but this was Ronaldo's 137th Champions League goal. Chelsea lost 1-0 to Juventus. Barcelona followed up a 3-0 defeat at Bayern Munich by losing 3-0 to Benfica. But before we panic too much, remember it's groups of four, two teams qualifying. So while Manchester United, Chelsea, Barcelona have made it a bit difficult for themselves, there's still scope for them to make the knockout stage. Yes, I still hope for Barcelona, but a life without Messi uh, looking quite difficult for them uh, right now. OK, so in the English Premier League, Liverpool-Manchester City on Sunday is the standout game. And really exciting football last weekend, Stuart, especially Liverpool's 3-3 draw with Brentford. And I thought a significant 1-0 win for Manchester City away to Chelsea. The big games are certainly coming thick and fast for Manchester City. Away to Chelsea, away to Paris Saint-Germain, and then away to Liverpool. And with Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United and Everton currently separated by one point at the top of the table, I think we could have the closest battle for the Premier League title for years. And it seems also we're having a lot of top six games early in the season. Now, after losing to Chelsea in last season's FA Cup semi-final and the Champions League final, Manchester City got the better of Chelsea on Sunday's league game, winning 1-0 in London. The tactical approach of both teams was as expected. Manchester City controlling possession and Chelsea relying on the counter-attack. But Manchester City simply played better. And they pressed Chelsea so hard that Chelsea struggled to get out of their own half. The Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel said afterwards his team had defended well but on the day were not good enough anywhere else on the pitch. Incredibly, Chelsea playing at home did not have one shot on target in 90 minutes. Incidentally, this was Pep Guardiola's 303rd game as Manchester City manager and he has recorded 221 wins, more than any previous Manchester City manager. As you say, Liverpool were held to a draw 3-3 by newly promoted Brentford. But they did score five in the Champions League. Uh, when Manchester City were losing. So I don't know what we take from that for, for the weekend coming up. Can Manchester City pull up a remarkable double of away wins at Chelsea and Liverpool within a week? If so, they will arguably be the team to beat in the Premier League. Or can Liverpool preserve their unbeaten status at Fortress Anfield? I can't wait for the weekend.
Yeah, promises to be a great game. And um, Stuart, I'm finding it a bit puzzling how Brentford are doing so well, uh, almost beating Liverpool last weekend. Uh, Brentford got promoted through the playoffs, while Norwich won automatic promotion. Uh, but in contrast, they've lost all six games so far. Brentford are ninth in the table with three wins and two draws. Norwich have lost all six games, scored two goals and conceded 16. And actually, when Norwich were relegated two seasons ago, they lost their last 10 games, meaning that they've now lost 16 Premier League games in a row. Brentford are simply playing with great confidence. Having beaten Arsenal and drawn with Liverpool, I think they will fear no one. Jurgen Klopp was full of praise for the Brentford goalkeeper David Rea from Spain. Klopp actually said he should be wearing the number 10 shirt because he passed the ball better than anyone else on the pitch. And in fact, last Saturday, Rea passed direct to his striker, Ivan Toni, 11 times during the game. And last season, the statistics say that Rea made 300 passes more than any other goalkeeper, and already this season he's made more passes in total, more passes into the opposition half, and more passes into the final third than any other Premier League goalkeeper. And it seems that this is part of Brentford's tactic, that they move the ball quickly. Steve, I also thought that you should know that Brentford's three goals against Liverpool on Saturday were scored by Ethan Pinnock, Vitaly Janelt, and Johan Wissa, and never in the history of the Premier League, going back to 1888, has any player with any of those first names or surnames scored in the top division. <laughs> um, I hadn't noticed that, and uh, Wissa getting caught up to the uh, DR Congo squad for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. Uh, amazing game that was, and uh, better times for the Gunners fans, Stuart. Yes, um, Arsenal beat Tottenham 3-1. And in fact, Arsenal were 3-0 up in 34 minutes. Tottenham have had a strange start to the season, winning their first three games to go top, then losing, ironically, three times to London clubs, Crystal Palace, Chelsea and Arsenal. Incredibly, with six games into the season, there are rumours that manager Nuno is already under pressure, with fans calling for him to be replaced. I thought Nuno was very honest after the game, saying he would take responsibility because his decisions hadn't worked out. He said we were simply not aggressive enough to combat Arsenal in midfield. But the statistics speak for themselves. Last season, Tottenham scored 68 goals, Harry Kane getting 23, Son 17 in the Premier League. This season, Tottenham have scored four goals from six games, and only one team in the Premier League has had less shots on goal than Tottenham. Very honest words there by Nuno, but Sunday's game at home to Aston Villa is a must-win for Tottenham. Now, Manchester United lost 1-0 to Aston Villa, with Bruno Fernandes sending a last-minute penalty over the bar. Although Fernandes has scored 21 of 23 penalties for Manchester United, there was an immediate outcry. Why didn't Cristiano Ronaldo take the penalty? Cristiano Ronaldo must take the next penalty. What is concerning is that while they remain fourth in the Premier League table, if you include Cup games, League Cup and Champions League, that was three defeats in four before the, the one in midweek. So just a little bit of a rocky time for Manchester United. Now, there was some criticism of Aston Villa for selling their best player, Jack Grealish, to Manchester City. 
But with Villa currently in the top half of the table, manager Dean Smith, I think, is quite justified in believing that using the $140 million received for Grealish to buy Emiliano Bundia, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey and Ashley Young, he has made Villa a more balanced side all round. But, Steve, I just want to mention Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton drew 1-1 with Crystal Palace on Monday when a win would have taken them to the top of the Premier League. Quite an amazing achievement when you think that in 1997, Brighton were at one stage bottom of League Two, that is 92nd in the League Pyramid. Perhaps we need to check if their manager is Graham Potter or is it Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah, Brighton just uh, one point uh, off the leaders. Uh, what else have we got for us, Stuart? I don't know if you noticed that Maldini scored for AC Milan. What's new, you might be thinking? Well, it was Daniel Maldini, whose father Paolo and grandfather Cesare had both scored for AC Milan some years ago. A remarkable dynasty of three generations scoring for AC Milan. Now, when Leicester City drew 2-2 with Burnley last weekend, Jimmy Vardy scored what is sometimes called the perfect hat-trick. Putting the ball in the net with his right foot, left foot and his head. But the score was 2-2, which means that it wasn't quite perfect since his headed goal was at the wrong end. Remember Harry Kuehl, who played with distinction for Leeds United and Australia? Well, he's just been fired as the Barnet manager. Incredibly, he was the 25th Barnet manager in the last 11 years. Well, that's a lot of managers and a barnet in the fifth tier of English football. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production. <laughs>